No, you know, it's it's a week by week battle in this pandemic recovery. And of course, New York City being open once again changes the landscape, maybe not in terms of box office numbers, but definitely in terms of perception when it comes to major studios looking to see what they release and when they release it. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the only print publication in North America exclusively focused on covering the theatrical exhibition industry. Joined here on our panel today by my colleagues Rebecca Polly, the Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, our Chief Analyst at Box Office Pro. Guys, this is our 50th episode, the New York City reopening episode, 50 weeks after this whole mess of a pandemic started. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm excited to get back to a movie theater. Actually, as we record this tomorrow, March 3rd is my one year anniversary of the last time I went to a movie theater. So I won't quite make it back within that one year mark, but it will be shortly thereafter, which is better than it could have been. Wait, what did you see on March 3rd, 2020? Personal History of David Copperfield, the Searchlight Pictures release. Nice. That was a fun one. I still haven't gotten to see that. There's a lot of these like blind spots in COVID releases that obviously because New York City was open, I missed. But Sean, you're over in Tennessee. How are things going on your end? Not too bad. I actually, this weekend was interesting because as the news was coming out from the box office that we'll talk about today, I, we actually went to the theater because Lord of the Rings was playing in IMAX. So for me, big Ooh. nerd, I'm like, never seen Lord of the Rings in IMAX, gonna go see Lord of the Rings in IMAX. Extended editions or theatrical? Theatrical. And okay. I only did Fellowship. I didn't realize they were even going to be there until like Thursday. So it was like last minute decision. But I haven't seen that many people at a theater since the pandemic started. And so from that perspective, I was feeling... You know, not back to normal, but kind of encouraged. Just not just from people going to see Lord of the Rings, but also families that I saw going in to see Tom and Jerry. So, from a professional standpoint, I feel a little better this week than have most weeks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole industry does, Sean. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned it in passing there Tom and Jerry opening to $14.1 million here in North America. I hate to put you on the spot here, Sean, but you were wrong on this one. And this is the good times when, when we're wrong on something. Uh, so this exceeded expectations, or even the most positive expectations I think the entire industry had for a title like this. What happened with Tom and Jerry last weekend? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of the times I'm happy to be wrong. And probably the only time since Endgame that I think we can say every model was broken. And I don't think you'll ever hear Tom and Jerry in Endgame compared in the same sentence again. <laughs> but that's what happened. We're talking about, you said, $14.1 That's with under half of theaters open. That's with you know, essentially a similar amount of number of theaters that were open when Wonder Woman released. And it only opened $2 million under that film. That says a lot, I think. Because in a normal world, Tom and Jerry is not going to open anywhere near what Wonder Woman would have opened to. So I think this suggests we know that private screen rentals were strong and those are very notoriously hard to track in pre-release sales, which factors into forecasting to some level. And I think that's just going to be a common aspect until, you know, we get on the other side of, of the pandemic and when screen rentals aren't as affordable as they are. So it's kind of one reason we have to go into every forecast being as cautious as possible because there is just that unknown element that is untrackable. 
but it in general i think it speaks to the fact that families particularly uh parents with young kids are just itching to go back and when the content is there even if it's available at home they'll still go out and see it in a theater and we've also seen data that it was a very diverse audience and that's always been crucial to these box office surprises so what that speaks to is we're not back to a level of normality, but we're seeing micro trends of what normality looks like. And Tom and Jerry is just kind of the next step. We'll see what Raya can do to, to build on that this week. I just think of here in, in the Northeast, or even you look at states like Texas, it just got over very difficult winter weather. We are in the dead of winter. It's very cold outside. You've got two, three kids running around. What are you going to do come Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if there is a relatively safe during the pandemic activity that can be done indoors, it's going to be going to the movies and especially crucially, like you mentioned, Sean, those private watch parties, those private rentals that have that have done so well for all of the cinemas that have been doing them. It's going to be interesting to see, as you say how that business continues. There might be the potential that private rentals cannibalize regular box office. We don't know yet, but we're going to get additional data points to that end because Rebecca, as we opened the episode, New York City opening this week on Friday, you and I are actually going to see each other for the first time in person as we go to a couple of our favorite New York City theaters that are going to be opening. What's the latest update on that end in New York City? Well, AMC has said that they'll be opening 13 locations in New York City on March 5th. Uh, Showcase Cinemas will be opening three. And then shortly after uh, the announcement was made that cinemas would be able to reopen in New York City on March 5th, Regal put out a statement on social media basically saying, we're keeping an eye on this. We are not going to reopen yet. The reopening of LA and the stabilization of the theater slate is really going to be the thing that's going to push us over the edge towards being reopened. So no Regal yet, but AMC, Showcase, and a handful of independent cinemas. They'll be playing Tenet, some of them, which as a person who held off and did not watch Tenet on HBO Max and held out for the idea of seeing it on the big screen, I'm pumped about that. But um, yes, Warner Brothers has announced that on March 5th, Tenet will be playing in five New York City locations. And then a week later, another one, Sean, in IMAX 70 millimeter to oh. get the little to get the nerd heart pumping. I'm jealous. Nice. I nice. still haven't seen 70 millimeter. I probably won't get to. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's it's a week by week battle in this pandemic recovery. And of course, New York City being open once again, changes the landscape, maybe not in terms of box office numbers, but definitely in terms of perception when it comes to major studios looking to see what they release and when they release it. Sean, what are the early signs that you're looking at from the New York City recovery in terms of what the future can bring. Yeah, I think it's a great point to mention. You you already really hit the nail on the head. We're, we're not going to see an overnight return of, of box office just because New York is open, but it is very symbolic in that, number one, a few months ago, Regal very specifically cited New York and Los Angeles as the reason they were closing their theaters until they came back online. We're halfway there now, and the rumors are very... You know, nothing official. So this is just strictly uh, speculation from people in the industry that L.A. could be uh, soon to follow here. But what New York does is provide that uh, that template. And now that they are reopening, 
studios can look at their release slates for this year and have a, a, at the very least more confidence than they have at any point in the last 12 months. Uh, because what that means is marketing engines can fire back up. New York is particularly important there because what happens in New York, contrary to the Las Vegas saying from an entertainment standpoint spreads throughout the world. Marketing is it's, it's essentially the marketing capital outside of LA, particularly for the movie business. And what we see now is March has a slate of the most uh, mainstream films to come out in theaters. Again, since before the pandemic, we have Raya, Chaos Walking this week. We'll have Godzilla vs. Kong and Nobody later in the month. And at that point, I think Hollywood sits back and, and looks at the trends, not just in New York, but countrywide in March and April. And it will really play a big role in determining what happens to that summer schedule. And it will be still a slow rollout over these next few weeks. As we mentioned last week, New York City is only able to be open at 25% capacity, which for a lot of these theaters uh, isn't really going to be financially viable in the long term. NATO and NATO of New York both said essentially like, yeah, we're this is good, but we're waiting for it to get back up to 50 Definitely, I, I feel like it's kind of a continuation of the stepping the toe in the water that uh, we've seen happen a few times this year with Tenet, with Wonder Woman, and hopefully this time it'll stick a little better with the vaccine rollout coming along. Yeah, that's going to be a, a crucial point. What role the vaccine rollout uh, plays as capacity measures either increase or decrease? Of course, we're also dealing with a number of variants of that COVID-19 strain going around different states here in the U.S. and several different countries. It's it's a tricky time. It feels a little bit too early to celebrate. But uh, as you noted, Rebecca, 25% is an improvement over zero. And that's really where we've been for nearly a year here in New York City. Now, that reopening in New York is also getting expanded to other markets. Rebecca, you spoke last week about Quebec uh, and Montreal specifically in Canada opening back up finally after a period of another closure. And we are seeing progress in the Latin American market with major cities like Mexico City and Buenos Aires in Mexico and Argentina, respectively, opening back up circuits, getting ready and ramping up in those markets. Now, when these movie theaters open back up, there are not only capacity restrictions they have to contend with, but there is also another new factor thrown into the mix. And that has to do with the increasingly shortened theatrical window. Rebecca, we were on the call last week for another three-hour-plus event from a major studio as Paramount released plans for its Paramount Plus streaming service, which included an update on their Paramount titles. Yeah, I, I came out of that a tired because it was almost four <laughs> hours long and on New York, you know, Eastern time zone, it, it went kind of late, but also uh, similar with the, with the Disney investor call in December, you know, you kind of go in expecting the sky to fall. And what we got wasn't that. What we got, I think actually was the best thing that we could have gotten under the circumstances. Basically what was announced there is that A Quiet Place Part 2 and Mission Impossible 7 
are holding their theatrical releases, uh, respectively, in September and November. Those films will have a 45-day exclusivity window before going exclusively to Paramount+. Plus. Moving forward, looking at other 2021 releases and, and even further on beyond that, we are looking at potentially a 30 to 45-day theatrical exclusivity window. But as we've stated here before, I mean, that's the direction things were going in with regards to a shrinking window. And at least it's not a Warner Brothers day and date situation. Though, granted, it does appear to be more like a universal situation. You know, it's not something so drastic. It's not something so extreme as going day and date, but it is longer ranging. It's not just a, a pandemic play. Right. It's it's one of those situations that the entire model is changing rather than a pandemic-specific decision, as we're seeing with a day and date strategy. Uh, not only from Warner Brothers, we also have to ask those questions of Disney as we see the simultaneous release through Pivot of Raya and the Last Dragon coming out on Friday is as signs on what can happen. Yeah. I mean, at least the reopening of New York gives, I mean, I don't know, Sean, I'd love to hear, hear your kind of forecasting uh, opinion on this. How do you feel about Black Widow now? It's so tough to say. What I will say is that we took a look in uh, this week's or this past week's long range forecast and, and just did a, you know, a what if scenario comparison of Paramount's two biggest titles from a couple of years ago, Mission Impossible Fallout and A Quiet Place. And to your point, what we're, I think that 30 to 45 day window may end up being the sweet spot that we've all really thought would come over the last year or so amid all the other controversies. Like we, it was kind of inevitably going to end up a middle range somewhere between what, Warner Brothers and Universal early on we're doing versus what Universal is starting to do and what you know we're kind of seeing Paramount do now and that's really focus on a window that still works for both sides and when we look at the last Mission Impossible movie it did 96% of its final gross by the 45th day of release it was out of the top 10 after 57 days so at that point the film would be on streaming and it's also really I don't want to say not relevant in theaters but it's really marginal at that point and the same, very similar for A Quiet Place. It had achieved about 94% by day 45 and was also out of the top 10 uh, by the same point after 57 days. So what this suggests is whether it's a franchise movie or an original movie, this could end up being that sweet zone of where studios can maximize theatrical performance and still be able to reach their streaming audience as soon as possible without having to fire up the, the marketing spend again after three months. We'll probably see a lot of different deals, a lot of different approaches. I'm not sure there will be a, a standard across all studios. I think that's probably unlikely. But in terms of Disney, to your question, I think I think Black Widow is now in an interesting spot because at the same time Paramount has laid out this blueprint for a reasonable window, we're also seeing theaters start to have some encouragement with Tom and Jerry and, and a few more movies to come out this month. So on the one hand, I think Black Widow is is a little bit less likely to move right now, but I wouldn't say that it's out of the woods of potentially going day and date or having a, a significantly shortened window. It's really tough to say. I think everything hinges on that, and I, I want to say that as objectively as possible. I think most people know I'm a Marvel fan by now, but it, it's going to be the Marvel movies that really bring back those four-quadrant audiences, especially as vaccines become available. So it's you know, Disney has an important decision and probably the most important decision out of any studio to make right now with regards to what they do with that movie. 
Well, yeah, the the role that Marvel movies play really are as prepackaged cultural events, which as movie going has suffered over the last year, I think we can look at the record low ratings of the Golden Globes this past weekend as an evidence of just how far away movie going is from being part of the cultural conversation. Now, we're not speaking to the benefits or disadvantages of having Marvel movies dominate uh, the movie-going cultural conversation, but it's unmistakable that they play a major role, or at least the most easily scalable role in getting audiences back to the movies and getting movie-going be part of a global conversation. So far, we've gotten reactions from the Independent Cinema Alliance on that 45-day window for those Paramount titles. The Independent Cinema Alliance already showing its support of the Paramount shortened window. A positive move, obviously, moving forward. Sean, you mentioned something a bit ago about the theatrical window now shifting from studio to studio. There's not really going to be a one-size-fits-all policy, or let's call it a shorthand, to know when a movie is going to be available at home while it's available in theaters. I would argue that it's actually been the case already for the last two, three years with the rise of Netflix putting films in theaters under very different conditions. You have, I believe it was, what, a a 30-day window for something like Marriage Story. Might have been a little bit shorter for a title like The Irishman, even shorter uh, than that for Roma. So that inconsistency in availability to the home, I think, is something that we've had to contend with in the industry already. And I know it's something that it's at the forefront of exhibitors' minds. We had the fourth quarter 2020 earnings call from Cinemark happen uh, last week. And Cinemark CEO Mark Cerati openly said that they are currently considering Titles from streamers like Netflix, like Apple, they're having active discussions with these streaming companies about finding a way to get select titles from those companies to play in Cinemark locations. Now, Zerati was careful to add that it's not every Netflix movie of the week. I don't think even the biggest Netflix fans have any indication or clue as to what the latest Netflix movies of the weeks are that are coming out. It's really just a strategy that's limited to, say, half a dozen titles that really are big enough to make an impact at theaters as they do in the home. What do you guys think about this new ecosystem? Do you think we'll start seeing more exhibitors consider offerings from streamers in cinemas? Well, they already have. Over this last year, I mean, so many more of them, major chains, uh, smaller chains and independent theaters have done that. I mean, I think a missing piece of this puzzle and something that's integral to whether they will continue doing it moving forward is what kind of terms is Netflix giving? Are they playing ball? You know, we're seeing this in conversations between exhibitors and other studios. You know, the terms have to work for both parties. So yes, I would say we are going to be seeing more of that. I think that kind of the wall has broken down. Maybe the stigma has broken down on it a little bit. I don't know. I bristle a little bit at Netflix treating 
exhibitors and treating movie theaters like just another part of their marketing arm. Like, oh, you can go see it in a movie theater for two weeks, and then we really want you to go see it on our platform. But really, I mean, is that not the same kind of thing that's happening with Disney Plus, with HBO Max, even with Paramount right. Plus now? How much are they marketing apps and how much are they marketing movies? That's that's an important distinction. That's how the studios are going to approach it because their concern is their product, and that's natural. Exhibitors have to, I think, divorce themselves a little bit from that and, you know, be in it for themselves the way studios are. Market themselves. Market their role in the community, market the services they provide, you know, let Disney do all the marketing they want for Black Widow. You market yourself. And don't just get lazy and post the latest trailer and call it a day. And that turnkey exhibition model of just marketing based on trailer alone, I think, as you note, that's probably going to be a thing of the past. I think uh, marketing towards movie going, towards the experience. Marketing, let's look at restaurants. Let's look at the airline industry. Let's look at hotels. Let's take lessons from those hospitality industries. They market the amenities. And we've seen covering this in this industry through Box Office Pro just the enormous amounts of investment that's been going to these amenities, whether it's uh, service uh, menus, uh, bars, uh, recliner seating, just all sorts of premium large format technologies. I think a second part of this question uh, that goes over to you, Sean, is how much box office potential can the exhibition industry find from this half a dozen titles that are usually going to, to Netflix or to Amazon, is that really going to be a considerable part of the box office moving forward should major circuits adopt them? That's a tough question. And I would go back to kind of what Rebecca was was mentioning in terms of what the agreements are between these exhibitors and streamers like Netflix and Amazon. Are we going to see traditional splits that we've seen, say, with with Universal and, and studios in terms of what they make on opening weekend and whether there's a, an incremental uh, increase week to week with how much share the, the theater takes back from that. I can see a scenario playing out where, again, now that that conversation is probably more open and we're, we see examples like, say, Mission Impossible or the next A Quiet Place movie, let's say they those films maybe, quote-unquote, only lose out on three to five to seven million dollars total from because of going to uh, a PVOD release after 45 days. Mm -hmm. That's a realistic amount of money that say something like the Irishman could make in theaters, even when it's streaming or a marriage story. These are not unachievable numbers. So yeah, I mean, to really to answer your question, I think it's very possible. I think it's, it's just going to be a winding road of getting there. Those are some great insights, Sean. It'll be very interesting to see how all of that plays out once we are at 50% plus capacity for a lot of theaters here in the U.S., which I think by that point, we'll probably see less pandemic-specific decisions happen at across uh, exhibition and distribution. Now, to close off this episode, we sat through this really long Paramount Plus streaming presentation what looked interesting to you in this streaming service now that there is another 10 to 20 bucks we have to find in our wallet to spend on something new per month? Well, it's not film related per se, but I'm a really uh, a big fan of the Nickelodeon cartoon uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. I think it's really well done and it's just good season arcs. And uh, it's kind of something that uh, was very kind of popular when it first aired. And then M. Night Shyamalan made a movie adaptation of it and that was horrible. 
So I'm excited to see the announcement that they're creating this whole Avatar Studios to really build out the world building and create TV shows, movies. So that was what caught my eye, you know, from a fangirl perspective there. Sean, how about you? I've I've actually announcement i've been a subscriber uh to cbs all access oh my god you too it's the two of us well wow yeah yeah it's the soccer Uh, it's the champions league that that got you through there that's the second yeah two things it was that and star trek ah uh, because i saw yeah Yeah, i've been watching discovery since it started a few years ago and then picard last year as well so i've been off and on intermittent we're cbs all access ogs we, we right. take it back to that first generation. So, yeah, I think for me, it's it's that. I Honestly, I, I can't even think of what feature films they've announced, if they have, that are going to be exclusive to the platform yet. Not uh, yet, no. So I guess for me, it's just got to be the, the Star Trek franchise, though there are plenty of cautious horror stories with how that can be overdone, but that's for another day. Well, thanks again, Rebecca and Sean, for joining me in this episode today. And we will be back next week, listeners, with another episode of The Box Office Podcast. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Record Edit Podcast and The Box Office Company. This episode was written by the three of us, Sean, Rebecca, and myself here at Box Office Pro. Thanks again. And don't forget to listen, subscribe, and rate us if you like us. Bye.